This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Oli Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. We are going to have a very interesting episode, and we have a super interesting guest for this episode. Earlier, our guest has been working as a physical therapist. Then he went to do his bachelor's and master's degree in Stellenbosch University in South Africa. From there, he went to do his PhD and postdoc in Leuven in Belgium related to real-world biomechanical detection of fatigue, energy, and injury in runners using wearable trunk accelerometry. And now he is co-founder and CEO, CEO of RunEasy, company utilizing findings from his PhD and postdoc. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Dr. Kurt Schütte. Welcome, Kurt. Thank you, Oli. Thank you for the very kind introduction. Yeah, nice to nice to have you. So you said about kind of inver- inverse engineering that you know the result. So basically, you the you do the run easy analysis and you see that there's, for example, uh, wobbling in the running. Then you need to find out what is the what is the question, what is the cause, uh, and you said that you can create quick experiments. But how do you figure out what kind of experiments you you do do you have kind of a playbook that how do you do for if you measure this what do i need to test that i i find the result because yeah it it sounds like yeah. there's there's many options so how do you actually guide uh, practitioners to do this yeah yeah hit, hit the nail on the head so i think one of the biggest challenges as a practitioner these days is the you know enormous amounts of tests that you can do from you know from 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 head to toe uh in from squatting to lunging to jumping to dynamic to static tests you name it and uh, there's a protocol and assessment that you can do and i think when it comes to prevention or injury prevention we can often very easily get lost in all the tests that we do and spend hours testing and assessing our our um our athletes and our patients and in the end of the day the clinical reasoning part becomes quite fuzzy or can be quite foggy to make all the links possible. And sometimes you see something show up in a static, but then you don't see it in a dynamic. And you know what? What do you you know? You see some flexibility issues. We see mobility mobility issues. We see strength problems. And you know, holistically combining them all together, and then still coming up with a personalized recommendation. You know, it's all over the place. There's so many options, and so. One of our goals really was to provide like a playbook, a framework for, uh, for physical therapists to really funnel down the decision making, make make your lives a little bit easier, make our lives like a little bit easier in, in understanding or like getting to a recommendation as fast as possible. And how we view it as you know, re, you know, the the, the, the par- it's, a, it's a real paradigm shift if you think about flipping flipping it on its head. Normally, we would start with the you know the assessment, like a physical assessment, and we'll do some functional assessments. And at this time for it, we will do, we'll measure the actual task, running or walking, where the pain is happening, and tr- and then try to work, uh, you know, you know, 
think about what tests we do and okay, how does this link to how you were running and things like that, and then not have enough time to really assess the, the, where the problems are. And so what we've done is reverse it and say, okay, well, the most important thing is the task that's that, that's 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 being that's being produced. It's the actual walking. It's the day-to-day activities that that's where the problems are happening. What where are the problems? Where are the weak links? during actual running where where the problems happen in the real world and then like like i was saying is reverse engineering so if if for example we see a high instability that we are automatically and we see a good good management of impact loads and good shock absorption don't focus your attention on the shock absorption those it's clearly it's in the green green zone this this is not the, this is not the problem we find the problem the output problem we see there's an instability and then we we already half the work is already eliminated. We focus on the weak link, and then we funnel it down. What are the what are the potential things that we know are linked to bad instability? Like I mentioned earlier, top down, bottom up. And then instead of having to do, you know, think, you think of video analysis, you think of visual analysis. You usually have to do you know sagittal plane from the side. You usually have to do frontal plane from behind. Uh, you have you know you need at least five to ten minutes to really inspect and eyeball all these computations. Now already we know, okay, it's an instability issue. Most likely it's originating in the horizontal plane. All right, we, we, then we look from, from posterior view, we look from behind and we see, okay, for this runner, there's an excessive trunk sway from side to side. Really, really bad control. Or we see, oh no, the trunk is okay, but the hips or pelvis are really dropping contralaterally. Like, wow, there's some, clearly there's some weaknesses happening here. And in each case, you have this visual checklist, and it takes a matter of five to ten seconds tip, 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 from head to toe, look, 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 assess, and identify those potential causes that are then related to the, the output. And when you have that, you know what to work with. You can really st- like streamline, find, funnel it down to the pot- potential causes, and then, and then identify, well, we know we ha- that's where as a physical therapist, we have that knowledge, we have that experience of making links to compensation strategies and exercise interventions or um, or giving cues on how to correct motion, motion uh, motor control patterns. Um, and so that's, you know, that, that's the idea is really to identify the weakest link, the most important problem, save time for yourself as a practitioner and also for the athlete to really focus all the attention on where you know where are the quick wins where's the low hanging fruit to improve and uh, it could be the stability or it could be the impact and it could be the breaking or the impact forces and if it's the break or if it's an asymmetrical problem we often see this is that there's a huge uh, difference or inequality in weight bearing or impact between left and right and whether or not it's uh, there's a pain or injury present at the time on one leg will help you identify whether there's a compensation. Are, are they really protective? Are they avoiding landing on that leg? Or are they unaware of it, but slowly but surely overloading and 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 and, and really making it the problem worse? Um, so all these different compensation patterns will help help you as a clinician to really work backwards and link it to, okay, this is where the weaknesses are. Let's not waste time here or there or over there, let's just pinpoint and fix these ones first. And then you, because you have an objective output measure, you can follow up and you can give that progression to the, to the, to the athlete and, and the patient that 
is often lacking to give them that motivation and engagement. And look, we've been doing these cues, we've been doing these types of exercises for the last couple of weeks. Look how you've managed to improve your actual running. Yeah, interesting. Let let's see if I understood it correctly. So, yeah. <laughs> so basically, with the with the measurement, you get the result. You know that this thing is wrong. Then you can basically narrow down. You don't need to check everything because you can narrow down. You have a playbook. What what needs to be checked, and then you probably find a probable reason for the end result, and and then. In the follow-up test, you can start testing it. That if if it can be fixed with different shoes, you can test them right away. If it needs strengthening of certain muscles, you can test, and then you can see if this this was the reason and the result is is being corrected. That's correct. That's correct, Ari. And 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 a lot of these these uh, assessments that are often done. Are based on schools of thoughts, or there's always there's always two camps. It's like, oh, we're we're the believers of high cadence, and high cadence means lower impact and less injury risk. Or no, we're the school that you don't ever mess around with your cadence and don't fool around with it. Actually, the cadence comes from the concept of high performance runners that are running way faster than everyone else's. So uh, we know that they're always at 180 cadence easily because they run faster. Why would an an an, an amateur runner try and achieve such a high cadence? So there's always these like different you know polarized views, but what we say is like it doesn't it's not about that it's about the individual. How does he respond? Does he have a positive or or he or she have a positive or negative response? Test it. We can't do that today. Now we now it's not about which side are you on. It's about what does the data show? It reveals a lot of transparency and a lot of um, uh, objectivity in 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 what's happening with this patient or that specific individual mm, yeah that that makes sense how, how would you say about over diagnosing i think it's it's quite common in physical therapy because certain things you can measure you get used to measuring it and you find those for example for me i played finnish baseball for 20 years so basically i think there's every imbalance you can <laughs> you can imagine you, you can definitely yeah. find it i have it but Does it really make a difference? Should I try to correct if I've de- been doing 20 years rotation this way? Now I would need to do 20 years every day <laughs> the other way, and then I would have it better. How, how do you go with the overdiagnosing? Is there a way of detecting it? When does it go yeah, wrong? Yeah. What's your What's your take on this? Super super question, and I think uh, there's different there are different elements to that uh, that question and one is you know how quickly are we able to correct our motor motor patterns how ingrained are they and what's astonishing actually on that level is how uh, you know what the, what the what the gauge retraining studies are showing is that within a matter of sessions the acquisition of a new gait pattern or new motor pattern can happen is super fast why because you have real time feedback You have biofeedback of what's happening in front of you, and that fe- that feedback loop is so instantaneous and so repetitive that the, the skill acquisition phase can happen really fast, really fast. And with a smart faded, you know, you can have your first your acquisition phase where you, for five to ten minutes, to twenty minutes, thirty minutes, constantly getting feedback, ingraining new motor, motor pattern, learning it, and then tapering off like you would as you 
taper off mileage for a big ultra marathon, you taper off the getting that feedback so that you start becoming more self-efficient or having that self-efficacy and uh, independent from the feedback. And that, that, that motor pattern is really deeply ingrained in, in it. So, I mean, there on that level, it can happen really fast. And then sometimes, even if you say 20,000 repetitions, it can, you know, the correction doesn't necessarily need 20,000 and opposite. Um, the other thing to take into account is that at least how we have, you know, it also comes down to standardized benchmarks. It's super important is one, you know, one percent asymmetry is that clinically significant, or is it thirty percent? Or you know, a real rule of thumb that we often use in strength or in certain things, ten you know, percent is where we kind of I feel like I draw the line when there's a strength deficit of ten percent or more. We, because we were able to collect such vast amounts of of, of runners, hundreds of runners, uh, millions of running steps, because now it's not just one step per force plate in the lab. Um, if you look at, in fact. Um, one thing the biomechanics community can still improve a lot on is the sample size and, and statistical power because we've often been confined to you know one step on a tread on a, on a, on a, on a force plate for example. Um, but going going back to benchmarks, it's is that we have developed or managed to collect huge amounts of, of 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 healthy data to know that we can sometimes see up to fifteen percent even in an asymmetry that is asymptomatic and sometimes that's not causing that doesn't necessarily is causing the injury or is related to the injury in that we shouldn't just strive for that perfect symmetry or that you know uh, there was a brilliant kinematic study that looked at usain bolt and showed that he, in fact he had some quite scarily uh, high <laughs> asymmetric asymmetries in his in his sprinting kinematics as well in his, in his sprinting uh, form so asymmetry is not always clinically relevant uh, but getting a feel for what is, you know, by having a good data set, data-driven uh, benchmarks, it means that not always, if you see a compensation, you need to fix it. If it ain't broke, why try to fix it? Um, there's some, there's, there's a buffer where you say there's a wiggle room for making clinical intervention rather than just over-diagnosing and say, we see a little asymmetry, we see some asymmetry, we have to fix, 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 fix. Um, not, you know, Take a step back and, and look at the big picture and, and, and where do you fall in, 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 in the range of things. So I think, yeah. Yeah, and, and how, how is the kind of, you said that you are collecting quite a bit of data. You have now a solution that you basically click on the waste belt and you get to go to measure data. So you, you have the capability to get good data set, but, but do you know what what the data coming to your system is if they are running on a treadmill if they're running in a in an uneven terrain can you do you classify the data for a kind of big data purposes or is the data now coming in without you knowing exactly what it is yeah so labeling and categorizing is really important so we we designed a very user-friendly way for uh, the user or the physical therapist to 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 uh, flag or to uh, basically label and uh, there's a built of in, uh, yeah, there's a there's a catalog of inbuilt labels so from the type of protocol to the you know the type of testing environment indoor outdoor treadmill track trail um, you know all the different types of environments uh, as well as uh, the type of you know the type of 
protocol that's being used. Are you using a fixed speed treadmill protocol for you know 20 to 30 minutes at an aerobic threshold? Or are you doing an incremental one, which is often used in performance to identify performance markers uh, in athletes? You think about the traditional lactate threshold test, or we're looking at the VO2 max test. And there we, we, you know, there's lots of different insights that you can get depending on the assessment protocol that's being used. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a way of categorizing that um, in the solution of the Run Easy uh, tablet app or the iPad app that you have. So that while you have your real-time data, you can quickly flag it so you can contextualize that data and enrich it as, as, as much as possible. Mm, no, that's that's really good to hear. I, I think many people don't always realize that it's not just how big the data is. Like if if the data is not <laughs> annotated or classified correctly, if you put shit data in, the shit comes out. Also, however good <laughs> is the is the analysis. So it's it's nice to hear that you you have have been thinking of of that one. So yeah, uh, anything else you would like to add for the applications or kind of reasoning inverse engineering anything you would like to add on on those topics it depends all again on on the type of uh, athlete that you're working with is he a runner or is he a team sport uh, kind of athlete you know and and is it an acute type of injury that he's he or she's recovering from or is it an overuse um, and so it's really important to do that 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 very quick assessments and um a questionnaire and understanding the injury history, where is it coming from? Because what we see is that there's different compensation strategies at different speeds. Uh, we've been working with a, a number also of, so Raneasy is not only valid for the recreational athlete, but can also help decision-making of elite and Olympic athletes. And we've been working with, you know, for example, football players, national football players of Belgium, who uh, needed, with the medical staff of the club, um, needed additional additional uh, medical view and, and clinical reasoning from the national uh, medical staff of Belgium. And they used Raneasy to identify, all right, where is this compensation strategy happening on the pitch? And what they identified, and, and it was a really crucial player because they were really considering, does he go, should he go under the knife again? Uh, do we operate on him? Really, you know, he's a valuable player. Are we going to take the risk? And you know, really allow him to, you know, get another, uh, get a surgery and fix it quickly, and then rehab him, or are we going to look for more, more, you know, secrets in his, in, in the way he's moving or the way he's, uh, he's compens- compensating to, to really f- uh, identify the weak links and then rehab or, or get him to return to performance as quickly as possible. And there they found that, at a, at a, at a, at a easy training pace on the field on the pitch. There was virtually no compensations. Everything looked well. Uh, if that was the assessment, then uh, you know he would have got the the flag, the green the green light. You could say to go up, let's get back into performance, go back on the field. Um, but when he ran at a higher intensity, so from 60 up to 80 and 90 percent, we saw that these overloading asymmetries started to really sort of come to the surface. And uh, that's when we they realized, okay, well he's he's really up to up into a point. Uh, but they have a, they had objective data and said, okay, he is clearly overloading this side of this leg. These injuries are still playing a role. Um, we need to do more work. 
and uh, they use that objective data to discuss between the different medical teams as, as something to help. So it, do, it really depends on which uh, any uh, on which type of athlete and which phase of injury they are in. You know, it's is it just you know, first early phase, middle phase, final phase, uh, and reverse engineering. You know, the compensations it's it plays a role in determining understanding that compensation strategy or pattern. For example, if it's early phase, you know, we were working with a, a Belgium Olympic athlete who, uh, was, was, uh, tragically, she snapped her Achilles, uh, ruptured Achilles tendon you know, a month or two before the Olympic uh, um, Games in Tokyo. And uh, we worked with her in a you know, return. Uh, we, uh, we, her she had a physical therapist and we helped her with her um, just her gait analysis and we could really track the progressions of her gait. And in the early days, there, the, the core functioning was how much over or like uh, avoidance protective strategy was there. Uh, in the based on the data, we could see that there was an you know avoidance strategy, not not wanting to load the leg, shorter ground contact times on the injured side, and track that progression over time and get to feeling like even though she's not running yet, she's still improving. And then, of course, in the final phases of rehab, uh, things changed around a lot with walking to running, and we could identify overloading strategies. Uh, that are present and that's where it was less about the pain and function but more about restoring you know pre-injury values and getting getting as um, as best as possible back to that high performance area so it can be used in different contexts different injury phases the it's, it's really yeah if you want to reverse engineer it it's not just um necessarily looking at the data but uh, it's making these these key links, these crucial links to you know narrow down the, the clinical reasoning and knowing whether to take action or not. If there's if there's pain present, you're not going to tell someone to now try and load that injured leg or more. But it's helpful to track that progression at least. But when they get back, final phase, you can say, well, look, the pain is restored, the function is restored, but you're still Moving in a very asymmetrical, funny way, uh, this, this is probably just a something that's developed over time. Maybe you had a crutch, or maybe you had a moon boot, or maybe you had a certain, um, you know, apparatus that that made your posture change, and now you're still moving with a bad movement pattern. But that's that's can be corrected quite quickly with a cue. So there's not there. It, there are, it all depends on which you know what kind of athlete you and what kind of uh, phase of injury, I would say. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.